What teenagers have told us is teenagers are going to come to them first. So we think that teenagers will come to a school counselor, a parent, a friend, an adult friend for help. The teenagers say no, they're coming to their friends for help. And we, we, the teenagers, we need to be the ones that are prepared to help them. I'm Jackie Green from Policy Research Associates, where we operate the National Center for Mental Health and Juvenile Justice. And this podcast is part of a series looking at the ways schools across the country have been working to improve student outcomes by addressing their behavioral health needs. And engaging students as mental health supports for other students isn't often the way that people think about doing that work. But as Abby Pecklow, Project Director for Project Aware Northern Connecticut, just described, other teenagers may be the most likely frontline of support for their peers. While she did not initially think of her efforts to provide mental health first aid training as a training program for young people, she quickly opened her mind to the opportunity. Interestingly enough, when you are trained as an instructor to teach youth mental health first aid training, it isn't until the end of the training in a little blip of a statement where they say, by the way, you can train older adolescents if you would like to. So when we first started, we had no intention of of training adolescents. We assumed our audience would be adults. Once they said that, um, because uh, the agency that I work for called Ed Advance, we work with students regularly all the time, that's our mission, I immediately thought about all the students who I had worked with in different school districts and how wonderful they would be as first aiders. So we began exploring that option. And when we did our very first training with teenagers, we recognized immediately the value of training adolescents and had no doubt that this was going to be our best audience, not just a supplement to our adult audience. According to Abby, the goal of Project AWARE is to saturate the community with youth mental health first aiders, and two years into her project, they have trained over 800 people. The training provides foundational information about mental health challenges that young people might face. Youth mental health first aid is a national model for teaching the average person in the community how to recognize the signs and symptoms among adolescents ages approximately 14 to 18, um, signs and symptoms of mental health challenges or mental health illness. There's quite a spectrum um, between challenges and illness. And so our goal is to help individuals recognize the signs and symptoms in adolescents so that they can provide care for uh, care referrals for the for adolescents early on in the spectrum before it becomes a more serious issue. So we help people to recognize the difference between typical adolescent behaviors and behaviors that might be present if somebody is having a mental health challenge. While Abby was not sure at the beginning that training students would be effective, she became convinced that training students is actually critical. The teenagers' uh, responses were much more mature and caring and concerned than we originally anticipated. We also thought that they might not be able to handle seriously the topic of self-harm and suicide um, because they see it among their peers. They may be in the situation where they are self-harming, where they may have suicidal thoughts, and we didn't think that they were going to be able to take it seriously enough 
that they would understand that it requires intervention. However, that really is not the case. They are very serious about it. Uh, they do understand the importance of getting help, for, of asking for help, and they also really understand what it means if an adult doesn't help you, that that means you need to go find another adult who will help you. So they don't just let it drop. They are very concerned. And we have found with um, the teens that they're so concerned that they feel responsible for s spreading the message to other people. So that's what we're seeing. Um, and a really wonderful byproduct that we have been seeing among our teen first aiders is the kindness that they have spread to other peers. Michaela is a 16-year-old student who had the opportunity to take the Youth Mental Health First Aid course as part of one of her high school classes. So in my school we have um, like a nursing class kind of thing and inside it there is an even more like specific class we call HOSA and that's about like future health professionals and so a lot of times when people think future health professionals they think doctors, nurses, like hands-on physical helping people and so when our teacher Mrs. Tipping mentioned how we're going to take a youth, youth mental health first aid course to get people to be aware of the mental aspect of people's health that's how we all got involved and so the course kind of started in mid-December and it went through until January, February and then with that, we had a mental health week at school so that everyone in school was aware of what course we were taking. Michaela walked away from her experiences being trained with lessons that were important for her and that helped her peers who struggle with mental health needs. I do have a couple friends who have mental health illnesses. And actually, once I started telling them about what we did in our course, because part of our mental health week, we had an assignment where you had to talk to people a couple times and you had to talk to them about what we learned in the training and certain statistics, and one of my friends was actually very excited because she was like, not many people realize that people have mental health disorders and that they can't help it. And then some people don't know how to react around them. And she was like, it's really good how people are being taught this because she hears a lot of things and a lot of my other friends hear a lot of different things like, oh, mental health, you're scary, I don't wanna come near you. Michaela also found that being trained as part of a class group provided opportunity for peer support along the way. I think doing, with the doing it with the class almost made it better because we were able to discuss with our classmates what we were seeing, what we were feeling. Because when we did a topic about suicide, that's a very hard topic. And there were some students who felt like they wanted to leave the room, and that's okay. But we were all able to talk as a group, and it wasn't like you were just learning this by yourself. And so learning as a group, we got to talk to each other. And with the different activities we got to do, we got to work with one another. And I think that was a lot better than just learning individually by yourself. Turning this kind of student education on mental health into action could also have powerful impacts on peer culture. Taylor Ford is a statewide youth engagement specialist for Connecticut's System of Care grant, and she is often working with students by providing a connecting youth presentation at schools. So we do talk about the system of care values and principles, and we make sure um, to emphasize the strengths-based value and principle and the youth-guided value and principle. And we, we want to make sure that they understand like those are two really important parts of this. Then we move on to talk about health. That's another thing that we realize is when you talk to schools about presentations, if you go in and say mental health, it's like, I don't know. But you say health, 
everything rolls into each other. And so that's part of the part of our presentation. We talk about how um, physical health, mental health, and social health are all interconnected. And I make sure repeatedly in this presentation, and I say to them, there are two things I want you to take from this. If you listen to nothing else I've said to you in this hour, that everything lies on a continuum. You can wake up feeling great one day, and in 20 minutes, you feel like your world is ended. 45 minutes later, you're okay. So everything, it, it has ebbs and flows. And we want to make sure that people understand, like, you know, you have a low moment. It's not the end all, be all, I have a mental illness. No, that's, you are human. You are alive. You have emotions that go up and down. You're also in high school. Taylor then supports students in finding ways to put their learning into action inside their school. So one school can take, okay, I need, we need to work on our sense of community because that will promote our social health, which will promote our mental health. And another school will say, okay, well, we want to bring awareness to mental health and we want to focus on that. And so it gives enough where you're like, okay, you gave me a little information, not too much. I don't feel overloaded. I can remember some of this stuff to have a conversation outside of this. But let's go and let's start to think about like what we can do, like even if it's like just as our group. We've had students, um, they had an a assignment and one of the schools that we presented to, it's called Each One Teach One. Um, and so the assignment had them sell, tell somebody else three facts, three mental health facts that they learned. And so the person that they spoke to had to sign off on the paper and say, okay, yes, one, they talked to me about this. Two, I pledge to share these facts with someone else. And to watch some of them do this activity in like their lunch period, they only were required three for the assignment. And they finished and they're like, can I do more? Michaela had the opportunity to put her learning into action inside her school, which shifted the impact of youth mental health first aid training from just her class to the entire school community. We did a lot of research and we looked up mental health facts and percentages and numbers. And then even the mental health color was like a bright green. So all the different HOSA classes that were taking the mental health training decorated the school in green colors. And then it was my idea to put posters up around the school to show prevalence of certain disorders and how to look for signs of possible mental health disorders or treatments or how people can get help. And so that was really inspiring because when you would walk through the hallways, you would hear people talking about the signs and looking at the signs. According to Taylor, supporting this kind of student engagement may take a shift in mindset for many adults. She describes what she sees as the keys to successful youth engagement. Conversation as opposed to a meeting mindset, an agenda mindset. Um, you know, let's just talk about it. Let's just talk about what you do, talk about what I do, how we can do together. If we fit, I mean, sometimes it doesn't even fit right now, but, you know, they know at some point later on, like, oh, I can reach out to them. Um, also, I always say to people to make sure that you're ready for those real gritty conversations because I think a lot of times when we say youth engagement, we're talking the ideal, the ideal youth. Um, I mean, ideal youth are great to be involved, but that's, I always, I always would prefer those kids that kind of just fly below the radar because that's where you, those are the kids that I, that have untapped potential. Those could be some of like the ones that lead all these activities that would have a great time and would benefit, not to say that any other student wouldn't, 
but they're the ones that, you know, they're not involved in all the clubs and all the programs. They don't go to all the meetings. They're not on the, on the advisory boards. But they have something to say. Those kind of things build students up. They build people up. But if you are kind of like, you know, you're kind of like right below or right at the cusp of something and someone's like pushing you in the right direction, it's a little different. It's, it's way more meaningful than to just say, okay, well, I need um, six kids, so I'm going to just go to the youth advisory board. Those are the conversations that need to be had in order to move forward because otherwise it's just going to fester in those kids and they're not going to want to engage at all. In the end, Taylor finds that the adults need to be willing to empower students to find their own voice first. You have to remember, you have to let them share. You can't force them to do anything, but you have to also, it's a lot of have-tos on your part, um, but it's necessary for you to be in the forefront of this. We talk youth engagement, we need to mean youth first, um, not how we feel first, and then talk to them. We need to talk to the youth first and then respond accordingly. This kind of youth engagement work that shifts peer culture can be very important to the success of school diversion efforts, especially those that focus on addressing behavioral health needs. Successful youth engagement often also requires the creation of strong one-on-one -on -one relationships between students and school staff, Maria Feliciano understands this because her pathway to high school and even college graduation was paved with one simple sentence spoken to her by a teacher. So um, growing up, I had a lot of difficulties in schools. Um, I also had a mental health, you know, um, needs that were not being addressed. And then about ninth grade, I ended up in a foster home and I had to go to the school district um, the school that was close to the district, which happened to be predominantly white. So I had a lot of challenges there. As the first day that I came to school, the school officials, they talked about me, around me, as if I was not even there. So immediately I kind of learned that I really was there, but I really didn't belong there, or at least that's how I felt. Um, because I came from Hartford, because I had DCF involvement, and because I was a young Hispanic, and um, there was a lot of messages of teenage pregnancy, so it was almost something like that was bound to kind of happen, or at least those were the messages that I was receiving. There were not many kids that looked like me, and there was probably like, I wanna say like eight children of color, um, and we were in this classroom. I, we were separated from the rest of the population. So everyone, you see all the other, you know, white kids walking around the school and things like that. And it was very a culture shock because I've never seen no one my age drive, let alone any adult. You know, like I used to look at people driving vehicles as something that you have to be rich. It was not, you know, it was not really common. You know, so there were so many things happening, and it was so scary. And then this teacher you know, was giving me a hard time as well. Maria and the teacher were on difficult terms after an altercation in class. When Maria felt threatened by another student, lost control and threw her bag at her, nearly hitting the teacher with it. But the teacher looked past the incident, paying attention to Maria's strengths. She started noticing that although, you know, I seemed or whatever messages she, you know, things she thought about me, 
I would get my assignments done and I would put them in this little basket in her classroom. And it was hard, it was challenging for me because I really wanted to learn. I felt like if I learn, I can get out of like the life that I live and the education, somewhere I got that education will get me to be, you know, to do better. And so one day she came and she spoke with me and she said, she sat me down and I really thought that it was not gonna be a good interaction to be honest with you. But she said to me, Maria, you have a lot of potential. And I know that doesn't seem like, oh, we say that kids have potential all the time. But it was something about the way she said it. Like she really believed that I can do something. That I, She says, I noticed that you're putting your homework assignments in this basket and that you do want to, you know, learn. And, you know, and I noticed some things and, you know, you're doing really well. You have a lot of potential. As Maria's life quickly changed during her teens, this moment stuck with her. When I had my daughter, I was like, I can't have her going to the system. I can't have nobody take her away. I have to do. And I remember the words of this teacher. And she said, Maria, you have potential. And that's what carried me through to the point that even after I had my daughter and a lot of other things happened, but those words carried with me to the point that I said, I'm not going to go for a GD. I want to cross that stage and I want to get my diploma because she said that I have potential. And if she said it, she really didn't like me when she first met me. And she's not going to waste her breath to tell me that she that I have potential. I believed what she said to me. And I graduated from high school. My daughter was almost two years old when I crossed the stage. And I went back to the high school and I looked for that lady, for that, for that teacher. And I showed her my high school diploma, and I told her, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I felt I'm a person I try to live out that what was given to me to give it to others. And um, I just wanted her to know that what she did for me, it, it matters. And that helped me through, even to getting my bachelor's degree. When I got my bachelor's degree, I looked for the woman on Facebook and I sent her a message and I said, well, I, hope, I just hope that she gets it. And um, she did. And she replied and she said, um, you know, thank you for taking the time out to, to say, you know, and I don't even know if she remembers me. It really doesn't matter, you know, but, um, but those words impacted my life because she took the time to to not look at what was written on paper about me, but to really kind of see past, you know, to, to find a strength in me, you know? And as I got older, I started understanding what happened in that interaction, what, what made the difference. Whether it is empowering youth to be supports for one another or helping young people to find the strengths in themselves, engaging young people by fostering their own hope for the future might just be the thing they need to overcome their challenges. My advice to any professional, you know, whether it's a school or any setting uh, that interacts with families is that you may be the first to drop a seed of hope in a person's life or the last. But even if you don't get the opportunity to see how that seed flourishes and grows, you know, it's important. Sometimes I, I think that we think that there's so much we have to do. But it's like if you know that in whatever setting you are, you bring forth hope in someone's life, even if you don't get to see the, even if you're not the person that gets to see it grow, you have to believe, you know? And I think that we forget that. 
You know, you have to believe in what you're doing. Because when she said it, she also dropped that seed of hope in me. And that made the difference. I'd like to thank Abby Pecklow, Michaela, Taylor Ford, and Maria Feliciano for sharing their time and perspectives. For more information on how youth and family engagement can support the work of school responder models, check out the other two podcasts in this series, in which we hear more voices from the field sharing professional and lived experiences with direct and authentic youth and family engagement.